Most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tough Talks with Chris Doris. I am extremely pumped today to finally get one of the most, we'll say it this way, the most interesting woman in the world. <laughs> uh, absolutely one, one of the most interesting, fascinating people I've ever uh, met. I, I love knowing uh, Jelaine Lise. Uh, we, uh, we got to travel together and uh, I, I joined you on one, one of the projects you work on is called the Foundation for Global Leadership and was it six years ago maybe we went to uh, six uh, southern African countries together and, um, and, I, and right now you know as we speak I'm working on my all-in digital course I'm making a course out of the audio program and you know one of the things that we did on the trip uh, one of the things that I did on the trip um, which was organized by Eileen Rogers was the rafting Right, the whitewater rafting right. on the Zambezi, <laughs> which is amazing. And then, you know, the, the guide stopped on, on the Zimbabwe side, and we had the opportunity to jump off this cliff. I was going to say, didn't you jump off a cliff? Because that's what I recall, which yeah. is not actually a safe thing to do in hippo and croc-infested <laughs> waters. But, you know, it's a, it's a Chris Doris kind of thing to do. Well, it was actually Eileen's idea, I think. <laughs> At least it was the, the, the um, river raft guide's idea. And um, being as egotistical as I am, there was no way that I could pass on that, right? Because I would be berating myself. But anyway, the point was, is that there was a photographer there who captured the whole leap, which is a perfect metaphor for going all in, right? Mm -hmm. Making the leap of faith. And once you jump, you, there's no turning back. So anyway, we're working on that right now. So thanks to you for that. That was a, a life-altering experience of mine. Um, and the, so the Foundation for Global, global Leadership... Um, so uh, just reading from your, your LinkedIn profile uh, bio, specializes in learning journeys for business leaders who are ready to expand their leadership potential beyond the confines of a classroom. And that's for damn sure, unless you consider the classroom real life. Uh, our learning journeys combine spectacular life-changing adventures, which I can certainly attest to, uh, typically uh, not available to tourist kinds of things, with an opportunity to engage with leading innovators solving social issues. Now that's one way that I would describe you. If someone says, what does Jelaine do? I would say she is an extremely enlightened, conscious, global thinking, social activist. Is that, would that be accurate to you? Well, yes, and especially at that time period. I'm no longer, actually, I, I no longer have that company. I've now moved on to, I have a, now a different um, company. That. But yes, I mean, back then when I was doing the Foundation for Global Leadership, it was the purpose was to it was I've always believed in relationships and was to connect business leaders with social entrepreneurs, and knowing that if the two got together, then life-altering things would occur. And you're right. Uh, you're definitely right about that. So just a heads up: your LinkedIn profile says that that's still an active organization. Just saying. Really? Because yes. that's says, what's been changed like months says, ago. <laughs> no, it says from, from 2002 to now or something like that, till present. Oh, Just FYI. No. Anyway, okay. so, but thank you for that because it changed my life. Um, but, but this is, I just want to, before we move on to what you're currently doing, uh, this is a really powerful uh, sentence here. It says, you know, all of this occurs on these, these trips that you organized with people. Um, the opportunities that you created for them to have that would expand that would expand their awareness 
of what is going on in the world, uh, all within the context that encourages reflection on the questions, how has my life been impacted because of the world I live in? And how do I want to impact the world because I have lived in it? And I just think those are beautiful and powerful, some of the most yes. uh, powerful questions that, that you could ever ask. So uh, thank you for having created that. Thank you for having included me in that and, and all you know, the, the growth that has occurred for me from that experience. Uh, I still refer to, I mean, I, there were so many experiences on that trip uh, that I continue to refer to. Now, moving on, you are the founder of Equ Equanimity Leadership Solutions. Okay, and I just want to read this little bit from the, from the bio, uh, the explanation of that. So um, you've always been about leadership. You've always been about, you know, cross-cultural, uh, well, the world. You've been about the world. You, you have a global consciousness. Your bachelor's degree from ASU is in cross-cultural communication. Your master's degree from Prescott College is cross-cultural counseling. <laughs> and your doctoral degree from the Union Institute is in community, community psychology. Everything is community, is cross-cultural connection, connectivity, right? So um, the equanimity leadership solutions, see this, so you say in, in your description of that, that the transition, your work in, in developing, helping leaders get more out of their people and their organizations, the transition from pain to performance Right, begins with, I'll, and I'll finish that in a second, but, but I love that, that pain to performance, because you know, as a performance psychologist, right, as a mental toughness coach, as somebody who's spent my life helping people get more out of themselves by strengthening their minds, I love that whole pain to performance uh, description, like th that, that's a journey, journey yeah. from to, from pain to actual performance, which, which suggests that those two don't coexist, and they don't. Because if you examine all of human peak performance research, every single shred of it indicates that when people, humans are performing at peak, they're not experiencing suffering. Maybe physical pain, maybe you know, like, like climbing Mount Everest, right. right? But not emotional pain. No one has ever described a human peak performance, has ever characterized it as painful, emotionally. It's the opposite of that. So from right. pain to, now here's, here's, here's the part that really gets me, but my, it captures my attention. So the transition from pain to performance begins with understanding the patterns, habits, and stories mm -hmm. often unconsciously embedded within an organizational culture that hinder the leader's ability to maximize the talent of their teams. Can you talk about that? Sure. So we don't live out of facts. We live out of stories. Mm. And what I mean by that is that this is how you can check it for yourself. A fact has absolutely no energy around it. It's never good or bad. It just is. Mm. The second it has energy, the second we decide something is good or bad, it drops into more of an interpretation and then we create a story. Once we have a story, we tend to not want to lose that story. We turn that story into facts. We think our story is actually factual. Mm -hmm. And then once we have that story, we do what I call we build armies. Because if we're gonna have a story, we wanna be right about it. As a human being, we have a conscience, right? So a good person is always right, right? We wanna feel justified mm. if we have a story, especially if it's a story about somebody else or something. And so how do we feel right? We build, I call we build an army. We go and we talk to people and we get consensus. And so once we get agreement to our story, we begin to think that our story is fact mm. and we treat it as if it's fact even if it's not we mm. might be seeing a little bit of that in our society today just <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> 
But that's not just, okay, yeah, that's funny, but it's always been true, right? It's the human right. experience, right? Okay, right. so, so, you're, so you're speaking my language right now, right? Because so as a, again, as a mental toughness coach, I, I spend so much time with people identifying what are your stories and, and questioning them, be, being right. in inquiry, being in a state of self-inquiry, right? Saying, do I agree with my, is my story serving me? Can I know it to be true? Right? Is, is it serving me? Is it serving the world? So I am really particularly interested because I don't think you and I have ever, I mean, you know, we, we've had a million dialogues, and, right. but I don't know if we've ever actually spoken directly to the question like, Jelaine, what is your, how would you define or what language would you use? What would you translate mental toughness into in the context of um, what you do in the world? So that's a really interesting question, right? Because mental toughness is not, you know, typically my language. Right. And then, you know, but when I think about that, you know, there's a, it's, it's very strong. It's very powerful. And so when I break that down for me, I actually see it as three components. You know, in a lot of the coaching work that I do with people is I look at it from a three-phase position. You know, I think the first step for me that, that about mental toughness would be letting go of attachment and the ability to move into preference. And the wow. way I define attachment is that whenever you, is fear, right? It's when you feel like you have to have something or not have something to be happy. Mm. When we can actually let go of that attachment, it could be losing your job, it could be losing your company, it could be losing clients. When we can really let go of fear, almost facing that rock bottom that I think every human being hits at some point in our life, and it's being able to let go of all the attachment around what that means and know that we can still that not just survive, but we can thrive. We can move forward into preference. And the Ooh. difference between attachment and preference is when you're attached, you have your happiness depends on having or not having what you're talking about. Preference is when you know mm. you can have it or not have it and be okay, so you can choose what you want. Wow. And it and it lightens it lightens to me it's it's energetic it's spiritual it just let goes of all the threats because what you resist persists right right so to me the first step is letting go of attachment and moving into preference but then that's actually the easy part and that's not easy okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. so so that and I'll give you an example for mm. instance when I first started my business so I was really lucky I did a lot of stuff when I was in, in college at ASU started a number of programs that kind of went national had a had a pretty good reputation graduated 21 had a number of job offers but they weren't exactly what I wanted to do and my parents of course were like of course you're gonna take a job offer mm -hmm. Well, no, it, but you know I was young and I thought well you know but if I get locked into a job now I may never do my passion and yet the fear that everybody had around me, well, you can't turn down these job offers. One CEO said to me, look, I'll, if you work for us for one year, I'll open enough corporate doors to last you 12. And a huge amount of money for 21 years of age. Okay. But I had to think to myself, what do I really want? And I literally had to see myself losing everything in order to turn down those jobs. I had to see myself as a bag lady on the street. <laughs> And, I, and it sounds funny, but I had to let go of everything. What if I lost everything? What if I had no money? What if I had nothing? What if I completely failed? I visual, I saw myself living on the streets. How would I survive? How would I keep from getting attacked at night? How would I find food if I didn't have any money? I mean, I went through the whole gamut. Okay. And that's what I mean by letting go of all attachment. When I could see myself in the worst case scenario and know that I'd be okay, that's when I very clearly could say no to every job offer that came my way and I started my consulting business. It took me six months to get it off the ground. I had to substitute teach to pay some bills. That's not very long, then, actually. No, and then I've been flying ever since. 
You know, wow. and I've always I've been very lucky to be able to say I've always had a passion. I've never had a job, right? Mm. So that's hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You think you're lucky for that? You think that's luck? Well, no. <laughs> I would never identify you as lucky in that regard. I would say that you were determined. Like that is true because of the decision you you just described. But you know, on the flip side, when you know a lot of people hit you, serious rock bottom. Uh huh. I was going to say that, that you know, a really close you know friend of mine lost had a thriving company, multi million dollar company, lost everything in the divorce. Right, went through a bad divorce, had lost everything. Not an uncommon story. Letting go of attachment for him was having to let go of what he had built for years, multi millions, and go to work for minimum wage wow. just to be able to see his kids and make his child support payments while he was getting back on his feet. Mm -hmm. That is also letting go of attachment. It's letting go of attachment to what success looks like, what failure looks like, what self looks like, and all of that. Okay. And to be able to still get up and go to work. Right on. Those are the spectrums, right? Mine was a mine was a fun story, but there's a spectrum okay. to the same story. And that's step number one, you said. Step number one. And then. So step number two is that especially when we hit rock bottom, we have we get those tapes, those stories about ourselves, sometimes implied from other people. Especially when it's a failure. You know, when our rock when our rock bottom we have to let go of attachment to what success looks like, to what it means to us, we start to have interpretations of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. We have stories that we tell about ourselves. That's where the real work comes in. Because I'm sure you've studied this, but with neuron with mirror neurons, right? What we know today is that whatever our story is about ourselves, it's gonna get reflected in others. Mm -hmm. Others are gonna show up and reflect that. That story back to us so we had to take responsibility for breaking down all the negative stories that we have that aren't serving us and redefine them because they're not facts they are just stories they're not true any story that we tend to have about ourselves I could we could pretty much challenge it mm. that it's not true hundred percent of the time so therefore it's not a fact it's a moment mm. and so we can take mm. a look at what those stories are and, and here's an example right when I first started my business right so going back to me when I saw myself as the youngest person in the room delivering courses, mm. I was seen as a very young person. Mm. When I went to Africa and saw myself as the white American, I was seen as the white American. If I saw myself on a board of directors as the only woman in the room, I was seen as the only woman in the room. When I saw myself as the expert who was there because of what I brought to the table, I was seen as the expert and what I, you know, and what I brought to the table. Mm. So those that when I talk mm. about stories, we have to really dig deep and take a look. And oftentimes we want to blame because we see it because of mirror neurons. There's a lot of data to back up our stories. Mm. That's personal response to me. That's mental toughness. Okay, so can I ask you a clarifying question about that? Because I think that's huge sure. and that's tremendously powerful. So you're saying the way you saw yourself is the way that you then would uh, influence other people to see you, to experience you. Right? It's how it's mirror neurons. What you think about yeah, yourself right. shows up. Right. Okay. So, so what did it take for you to stop seeing yourself as the young woman, as right. the white American, and rather as the expert at the table with a contribution to make that's significant, important, and relevant and timely? What did it take <laughs> for you to do that? Right. So it, it means unraveling those stories. It means sometimes digging into the pain, digging into where they come from, because they also come from experiences. I mean, that's the catch-22. What we think about ourselves shows up. So then we get reflected back, and sometimes some pretty harsh experiences, which then validate that story. 
Mm. So we have to dig in and 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 um, and really work through it and take some personal responsibility for it, you know, in terms of our own belief systems and be able to let go of being a victim. I'm, t you know, it's there's a lot of satisfaction in being able to say this happened to me. I was a victim, um, that kind of thing. And it can feel really, really good to sometimes just be miserable. And then when the pain of being miserable, you know, has run its course, then sometimes it's easier than to let it go and take a different look. I'm not saying to negate the pain by the way I'm not I'm not into well you are so responsible for your own emotions you're choosing to feel pain if you've come you know if you've had painful experience I'm not saying that I'm actually saying embrace it mm. and guess what when you're done when you're ready to move on you can actually just because you had that experience doesn't mean that it, it's who you are okay. and you can then reconfigure it so so let me uh, organize my thoughts as a, so the first so mental toughness by your definition is three things the first thing is attachment versus preference right yeah. acknowledging your stories or is that the second step well the second step is yeah it's really getting digging into your stories your um, your tapes you know if, if if I were to put an analogy to it yeah. right and this is I'm dating myself we we can we can have this conversation <laughs> but I don't know how much longer we can have this conversation but if you think of a movie projector that's yes, why I say I'm right, dating right, myself. Right, right, okay, right, right. So here's a movie projector and here's a screen. Uh -huh. And the projector, the, the, the tape, is our belief systems. It's, right. our, it's our judgments, it's our thoughts, it's our beliefs, it's our stories. The light projects a tape onto the screen. Mm. The screen is our life experience. Mm -hmm. Too often people focus on changing the screen, the life experience. You're in one bad relationship, you break oh. up. Right. And all of a sudden, dating the same person, different body, because we're changing the screen. The only way right. to change the screen is we have to go back and change the tapes. So you're talking about inner world versus outer world. Correct. But it also, it's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, it's interesting how quickly when you start to work with it, it can affect you. You know, for instance, one time I was working in Uganda. This was in 1996. <laughs> yeah, who, who hasn't and so, done that? Right? But, so it was 1996, and, and I wanted to go gorilla trekking in Rwanda, and I was in Kampala, and I have absolutely no sense of direction and no sense of geography. I just, I, I actually don't really have a lot of scope in that area. So I just decided to hire a car and driver, and I thought, well, on the map, Uganda looked really small next to Rwanda, so I was just going to drive, have a car and driver drive me down to Rwanda so I can go gorilla trekking. I didn't realize it was a 13 and a half hour drive. So we get to Rwanda, wow. and it was in 96, so the genocide had just ended in 94, but it was really, really palpable. Wow. And we get there, and it's like it's getting close to you know the end of the evening or towards the evening, like 5:30 p.m. The sun's going down, and we got I had to get out of the car to walk to the passport office in this really dodgy border crossing. And I look around, and there's all these drunk men looking at me. I'm the only American, white American woman there. And the mm. first thing, this is also how mirror neurons work, is they had their story in that moment about me, mm. and I picked up on it, and I reflected it back, which meant I was, you know, they were, they were sharing with me how they might have felt about me, and I felt scared. Mm. I remember looking at my driver, doing what I consider the typical woman thing, to see if he was going to take care of me, and he was walking with his head down, mm. and trying to ignore the whole situation. So that's when I also realized, okay, these are two tapes going on. I'm scared of them. They know I'm scared. They have their feelings about me and who I represent. And so I shifted. In that moment, I, I, I just let it all go. I shifted. I actually decided, because I'd worked with gangs at that time, that I was going to access my inner gang member. <laughs> I let go of all my fear. I let go of my you know all the tapes that were, that were being projected. Felt really confident in who I was. And the men just disappeared. They all blended away. Wow. It was, Amazing thing, and that's how mirror wow. neurons. Wow, you know what that reminds me of? Tell me. Immaculate Illabigiza. Yes. 
Remember her book, Left to Tell? Yes. She was the survivor, yes. so she, yes. her, she entitled her book, Left to yes. Tell, because she's yes. the only person left from her family from, that, uh, from the genocide uh, to tell the story. Right. I have goosebumps right now because that's like she told similar stories. Like, that's fascinating. Okay, so here we go. Uh, let's call that a skill. But that's where it becomes like shifting gears on a car. I'm going to age myself again. I don't think kids today know how to, to drive stick shift, but I grew up yeah. driving stick shift. And I remember the first time I ever tried to, to put in the clutch, shift gears and drive straight at the same time, I didn't think I could do it. And then in a short time, it became automatic. You don't even think about putting in the clutch and shifting gears. That's how working with your tapes, to me, mental toughness, yeah. recognizing mirror neurons, recognizing whatever the experience you're having externally is triggering a belief that you have internally and recognizing that you can change it. It becomes like shifting gears on a car. Wow. But you can't do it unless you have the third piece, okay. which is taking responsibility for your personal resilience. I define resiliency as that if we're alive, we are resilient. But are we practicing positive or negative resiliency? And that is the key. Most of us get trapped at some point in our lives in negative resiliency. For instance, you wake up in the morning, you know, you drink coffee all day, you turn to some kind of alcohol at night, and then what's common in America is then a sleeping pill to go to bed, right? <laughs> okay. I, I work with my CEOs and like, and there's a problem with that? Yeah. People right. subscribe my day. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and then we're not sleeping, we're overeating, we're not exercising, we don't have any kind of mindfulness practice at all, mm. it hurts our relationships, we have divorce, we have alcoholism, we have pharmaceutical addictions, all those things mm. are on the negative resiliency. We're still alive, but it's on the negative side. Whereas positive resiliency is making, you know, prioritizing your time with family and loved ones. It's being mindful. It's having mindful practices in your life or meditation practices in your life. For me, it's hiking or moving my body. For some people, it's sitting meditation. It's taking responsibility for what you, you know, for altering your brain or not altering your brain when you're under stress, whether it's with caffeine or with alcohol or whatever it is. And we, and we, and the order to be able to, to me, shift our, our tapes, right? To shift gears like a car, to take that and be mentally tough and take ownership is that we have to be putting a practice of positive resiliency into our life every day. Otherwise, we flip to negative, and then it's too easy to fall into like the victim and the yeah. depression and everything. So uh, you know how I feel about the fact that this stuff isn't fundamentally incorporated as curriculum from early on in our educational system. So that, in other words, like, you know, this is why m most of us have had, like, this is news, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Right, like why most of us don't have access to these practices or techniques, right? So, 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 um, what the reason you reminded me of Immaculate is because you're in the same place in the world, <laughs> right? And um, and you had a and you, what 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 happened was, you had an experience that you realized you were co-creating, not that she, ever, she wasn't co-creating, she wasn't co-creating the Holocaust she, or the genocide, she was co-creating her participation in it and the way that she would uh, influence other people. So part of her story, you, you know the story, you know her, yeah. did you read her book? Okay, so you know, she, she, they got found, she was hiding, right, in a bathroom with the six or seven other women. And, and she, had been teach, she had been reading the Bible. So her, her approach to this came from a biblical source, but who cares, right? It's like, you get there, you get there. And she discovered, 
And that, that's one of the fascinating things is she could call it like God, or we could we we could call it like I don't, you could call it mental toughness. I mean, maybe those terms to some people are synonymous. I don't know. But what she learned mm-hmm. is that she could um, she just chose to operate. She chose to change her internal experience. Correct. So this dude found her. He's got a machete. She had heard her family get slaughtered outside previously, prior to this. She had every reason to cower and be petrified, and she chose love. Right. She chose to silently, without a single word spoken, she chose to express compassion, forgiveness, and love. And the dude walked away. And she had that similar experience two or three times. Right. Right. So you had a similar experience. Now, I don't know well, that your life was threatened, but, but, but the energetics yeah. of it are the same. The mirror neural experience is identical. You Let me give you one. state. Go ahead. Well, let me give you another example that happened to a really close friend of mine. And this was like, she told me this story 25 years ago. It's probably, she subliminally planted this in my psyche way back when I was in my early 20s. Cool. Where she was sitting in her apartment and had a skylight. And actually she came home one day, but her apartment had a skylight. She walked in, shut the door, turned around, and there was a man naked with a full on, you know, erection and a knife saying, you know, aggressively saying he was there to rape her. Wow. And she put her bags down and she said, okay. I'm not going to fight you on this, but I'm going to have to do some deep breathing to prepare for this experience. And she shut her eyes and just started to breathe. And she said she opened her eyes. He was sitting on her couch, deflated, knife on the table. He said, I can't rape you because there was no violent. Rape is violent. Right? Uh. She shifted again, the same thing that you just talked about the maculae, what I was talking about with my experience in, in Uganda. And she talks about it in terms of almost being raped. When you let go of your resistance, when you go internally and you shift, there's nothing for somebody to come at you with. You're now in control. You're now in the power. And he walked out of the apartment and left. You know, I'm sure a lot of people will hear this and feel instantly skeptical about it. All right. But this is, this is at least at worst what we can say is explore it. Just explore that. Explore that. So you, you, and you're describing a practice. So, you know, our friend Byron Katie. Yes. Who's doing a nine day workshop starting today. As a matter of fact, I have several friends out there in Ojai, California at it. So the story uh, that's relevant to what we're saying right now of her, do you know the story where she was uh, doing one of her nine-day experiences? And some crazed dude came up when they were on break. She was out in the foyer, came up with a gun and said, bitch, I'm going to kill you because you're screwing with these people's minds and you're stealing their money. She, he literally had a gun really? in her rib. You don't know this story. He had no. a, a gun in her rib cage. I only know this because when I coached with Steve Hardison, he is her coach. And so we get these great stories. And um, and her immediate response, and it could only be this, with years of reprogramming the stories, her immediate unpremeditated response was, oh, sweetie, honey, she's calling this fucking guy honey and sweetie, right? He's threatening to kill her, and, and he's going, sweetie, I don't, goodness, I don't blame you one bit. If I were believing the thoughts that you're believing, hell, I would have shot me already, honey, I don't blame you. And then he just broke down. Right. You know? Uh, I can't, I don't think either of us are in a position to say that that would always be the outcome. But isn't that? It, but that those, all these stories that we're referring to that yep. they even ever occurred needs to be acknowledged. So let's now p- break this down into like practical. Like yep. thinking about the people that are listening. Right? We're talking. Let's go from like the theoretical to the practical here, and like give them some gifts here. So what are so? I mean, that's 
taking it back to your story where you were wanting to go on the gorilla track and you saw all these drunk dudes and you changed you changed your vibe. I'm putting words in your right. mouth. Yep, that's a great way of putting it. Okay. If you had to teach somebody like how to how to do that, what what do you what do you tell them? Well, you know, even just going back to Byron Katie's story, I mean, what, you know, and even the story that I shared about the friend of mine who was almost raped or my yeah. story, it's, you know, what you resist persists. So that goes back to what I first said about letting go of attachment. Mm -hmm. When we resist not having money, when we resist not having our business, you know, thrive in a certain way or not having the relationship that we want or whatever it is, then that's exactly what we're going to get reflected back. That's mirror neurons. If we resist it, there's a fear there and we're going to continue to keep attracting those same pieces, right? Okay. Okay. So how do, how do you shift that? You know, a lot of what we're talking about, at least in my personal stories, like in, you know, in Rwanda is we, and this is also kind of, you know, a little bit of what's happening in our world today is we're doing more dehumanizing than remembering that we're also human. What you just described with Byron Katie is she acknowledged the guy's humanity. Yeah. She acknowledged him as a human being. Yeah. And we, you know, another example that I have on my story is when I used to work with gangs. And one time I was working in South Phoenix and I had to park far away because there was construction. I'm walking down the street and there's all these gang members. And they saw me by myself and started making very loud derogatory comments to me. And again, I got scared. And I realized, okay, that's what was going into play. And what I did in that moment, not saying this is what everyone should do, is I ended up walking up to them and introduced myself to them. Because I knew. <laughs> Well, I because, have absolutely no difficulty believing that. But what was happening is that they had their stories about me without knowing who I was. And I had was my this? story about them in Phoenix, South Phoenix. And, and I had my story about them without knowing who I was. The moment I introduced myself, it, the stories dissipated. We were two human yeah. beings looking at each other. That's, okay, so that could be dangerous advice to someone, right? Because like you've, but, uh, when you've made that decision, though, so right. okay, let's, let's, let's try to break this down just a little bit so I think it's more accessible to everyone. That's a ballsy move, Jolene. That's right. a risky ass know. move. That that'd be like yeah, right. but you have training and that's the only reason you see the only reason you're the only reason Byron Katie is even remotely capable of not instantly going into a fear state when a gun's in her ribcage and dudes right. threaten to use it on her is because of decades of practice, right? Of restoring of freeing herself up from old stories that she knows doesn't serve her. She's right. She has freed herself from fear response. That's her choice. We don't all need to do that, but it's a possibility, obviously. You have as well, right? Maybe not to the same degree, but certainly to a degree that's more than most. I would, I'm very comfortable saying that because that's ballsy as hell, right? So, so a person with a black belt, okay, is more comfortable going – they don't experience – situations as threatening as someone like me without that training. So you just brought up a good point. So let's how, how to break this down. Cause you're right. I would not necessarily recommend that to everybody, but I was also in, it, there was a danger either way. Had I hmm. not humanized myself, I could have gotten attacked. There was definitely that vibe in the air. So that, that's probably a bad situation cause it could have gone either way, hmm. but by humanizing, by changing the story in that instant, they ended up walking to me where I, where I needed to go. And they even said to me, hey, lady, you really shouldn't be down here by yourself at night. <laughs> <laughs> they were looking out after you after that. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not saying use that one. But, um, <laughs> oh, okay. but the point is. So wait, just clarify. Lost, you're saying that. don't yeah. walk up to gang members. <laughs> you're not, you're well, not recommending that. But, but here's, the, here's the point you're making, right? I was talking about the right. black belt analogy. Right. That you, right? Oh. 
Right. Well, this is the deal. Part of what you're talking about, and I don't know if I believe it takes years of training. It takes conscious training. Uh, so when you, mentioned, when you mentioned mm. martial arts, yeah. right, one thing that we are gifted with our brain uh -huh. is neuroplasticity, mm. which means any condition pattern that we have, mm. we can actually transform it. That is the gift that we have, whether you believe in mm. God or the universe, whatever you believe, we were created, unlike many other species, to have neuroplasticity. Mm. Why do we train for martial arts? And we know this when it comes to martial arts. You train every day if you practice martial arts because someone attacks you, you can't think, hit here, punch here, do this. Your body does what's been trained to do. We know this in the military. I work a lot with law enforcement. Why yeah. do law enforcement practice shooting their guns? Because if they have to use it in the moment, they can't think what to do or where to shoot. They, they go into whatever they've been conditioned to do. It's in our reptilian brain. We have yet to approach leadership the same way. And, that, and we need oh. to be leadership the same the same conditioning process for oh. how we show up in conflict for how we sh how we manage our stories all these things that we talked about is a conditioning process yes we need to train for it just like we train for martial arts just like we train for sports i mean the athletes you know you know this from coaching athletes you train because in that moment when you're on an adrenaline rush you can't think how to hit the ball or what to do your body does what it's been trained to do in fact if your mind interferes you can screw it up so you go into what you've been mm -hmm. trained have mm -hmm. to train ourselves in leadership, in communication, in relationship with mm. other people, the same way we train for sports or martial arts or any other practice that we have. Hmm. So I love what you're saying about it doesn't need to take decades, right? It doesn't necessarily take need to take decades. It just so happens that people like Byron Katie have <laughs> been training herself for decades uh, and, and then reap the rewards of that because she doesn't choose fear as a response but to reality. We share a five-step process. Really simple. Beautiful. How do we do this? Perfect. Beautiful. First, especially if you have a pattern that you want to change. It's a story. It's a pattern. The first thing you have to do is recognize it. The second thing you have to do is reject it. Now, when you reject, it means release. It means releasing your attachment. If you find yourself rationalizing why the person deserved the anger that you showed or whatever it is, you're not rejecting and you're going to go back into the pattern. Okay. So you have to recognize it, you have to reject it, and then you have to replace it. That's the missing part. We tend to say what we don't want. I want to lose weight. I want to be a better person. I, I want to be a better partner. I don't want to yell at my kids. We say what we don't want. We don't replace it with what we do want. The only way to build a new neural pathway is to replace. So if you don't want to yell at your kids anymore, what do you want? I had to practice this one. I wanted to be more patient and loving, right? So then you have to go for repetition. You have to go for what I call the easy wins. So when I found myself yelling at my son and I decided I, wanted, I recognized it, I wanted to reject it, and I knew I wanted to replace it with being more patient, the repetition that I found was to go into his room because I knew it was gonna be filthy and make me mad. <laughs> I consciously go in there and I and instead of yelling I would start to say okay honey I get that you chose not to have your your Xbox this weekend and when you want to have your Xbox back I'll see a clean room thanks let me know when it works for you and then I'd walk out right mm -hmm. but now I don't go to yelling anymore now my condition pattern because of the repetition mm -hmm. is I go to a patient conversation place with him versus yelling but if I didn't replace it that's the key if yeah. we're gonna let go of one story we have to replace it with something else mm. so if we want to let some behavior we have to replace it with my executives I had one that you know got back on his performance evaluation as a micromanager and nobody wanted to work from again well what's it you know what did he want to let you know he wanted to let go of that you know happening so what did he want to replace it with he wanted his people to know that he appreciated them
So then he had to find a way to show his appreciation authentically, right? Because they didn't think of him as being authentic, <laughs> you know, saying okay. you know, nice things. So he had to find a way mm. to do it authentically where they got it. And mm. then it became second nature. A year later, he had an outstanding performance evaluation and, got, and ended up getting a promotion. So the key is to recognize, reject, release, replace, then re re repeat, and then repeat, and then you're done. Wait a minute. That's, I only got four there. I thought you said it was a five-step process. Recognize. Recognize. Reject. reject replace. Release it. No, you have to release it. When you reject it, you have to release. And, and the difference is, is that oh. you're either or you're rationalizing. If you start to rationalize, you're just going to stay in the pattern. So you actually have to release whatever it is. And that means forgiving yourself for whatever you've done. Yeah, I see. Okay? Then you have to replace, and then you have to repeat. That is beautiful. That is so practical. I love that. But it all starts with so – now, this is like – this is what distinguishes uh, – physical fitness with mental fitness is this is all internal right so it's awareness it's all predicated upon awareness isn't it right for me to recognize anything i have to be in the so it's really there might even be a step before that which would be the initiator which is to practice paying attention to what like what, what would help someone like even just like okay we're going to get started in this what do we what do you do you have a name for this the five steps to or five steps for so it's part of our it's part of the curriculum that i've written where i talk about them going back to the new projector and it's like rewriting your your script basically you know rewrite your script you know pieces it's a it's it's um it's in that so it's in a whole your script to rewrite your life yeah, basically. yeah right okay so um yeah, what but that's what the recognition. The recognition is is that yeah. you can, especially you can stay as a victim, right, where everyone's out to get you, and that's yeah. a screen. Or you can take a look at, okay, if you're having some similar situations occurring and you're not happy with the result, are you ready to? Lower okay, so there you go. That's it. That's what I was looking for. That's what yeah. I was looking for. That's perfect. So you, there you go. That's a, it can't get simpler than that. That I love. I love simplifying all this stuff, right? So that's it. Is where are you creating results? Right, or, or even we'll even like make it more victimy than that, so it's even easier. <laughs> right. Where's stuff going wrong in your life? Right. right? That's total victim language. Like, where's right. all the shit that's going wrong in your life? Then it's like, okay, now let's let's now let's recognize it. So it's easy to recognize, right? Reject right. it, release it, replace it with what? What's, what does perfect look like? Is a fun question for that. To say replace it with what? Well, what would be ideal? And then repeat the shit out of it, and then and you've got a new way of being. Well, and this right, and just to say one last thing, sorry, Chris, but this is where language is important, and I know that this is what you're really, really good at. You know, you know, like say, like New Year's is coming up in a few months, and people always have a New Year's resolution to to lose weight. Well, if you think about losing weight, your image of yourself mm -hmm. is really bad. Mm. Whereas, I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Mm. I want to be fit for my grandkids. Mm. You know, mm. totally different image of self. So when we talk about that replacement. Mm. It's all in the language. What mm -hmm. language are you using? Because that's what you're going to be visualizing. That's what you're going to be attracting back in your neuro, in your mirror neurons. I would never want to do this without a coach. Right. Because as I listen to you, just a clarification like that one that you just made is a game changer. And right. it reminds me of like when you know I'm learning golf and how hard it is when you're doing it on your own. Right. And little tweaks like that, like little tweaks, the instructor will come up and just say, just move your hand. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, the results. Like that, that kind of, that, that tweak right there. That's beautiful. So it's not just, okay, so losing weight is the um, resolution. Don't envision, just you know, like, I'm heavy now. Let me envision myself as thin. 
because that makes me better. It's like, no, for what? Right, visualizing because I want to be in shape. I want to be like that commercial. I want to be able to, you know, hike the Santa Monica stairs, walk the stairs with my granddaughter, you know. Right. As opposed to say, not today. Yeah, right on. That's beautiful. You know, the work that you do, we didn't get too much into. You just referenced it a second ago. You're doing, you're, you, maybe just talk for a second more about this because it's so fascinating to me. Um, you know, you're, you're working with teams all over the planet. Right, you're working with the police, yeah. right, around the nation. You're, but you also travel globally, and you do this work where where you're helping. Um, well, I mean, are you working? Who else do you work with that you can talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who are you allowed so, to talk about? Who you work with? So I do work a lot with our federal government yeah. and a lot with corporations. So Fortune 50 companies, um, Fortune 100 companies, governments, as well as in local organizations, and it's all the same work. And so, you know, really, you know, and it's, I do, so a lot of what I do right now is it's about transformation. It's about change and transformation. Change is never difficult. It's only difficult if people aren't having the right conversation on the right topic at the right, at the right time, right? Mm, mm. You know, if, if people say change is hard, it's only because they're not talking about the right thing. You know, I define leadership as that leadership is all about relationships. And mm -hmm. so conversations are, you know, make the relationships. If you want to find out how you're leading, take a look at your conversations. And are they landing where, you know, the first time or are you having to have lots of different kind of conversations? And so, you know, I work, I, I coach, I train, I work with organizations on massive transformation, working on a huge transformation project right now, which hopefully will keep our country safe in the future. And um, without, without divulging anything that would be confidential, could you at least say what is the transformation from to in that particular case? So we live in an ever-changing environment. This is important for every organization, you know. We live in a, in a, in a digital age, and oh, if mm. we do not know how to, and so now what's required for every organization, it doesn't matter who the organization is, what's required in our organizations today is agility. It's, you know, is and the capacity to keep growing and not get stuck, right? And we are, we are creatures of habit. We like habits, we like patterns, we like roadmaps, we like things to stay, you know, to stay consistent. We don't live in an age of consistency anymore. And so training people into just being comfortable with agility, mm -hmm. you know, that is, that's the key for every organization's success. Mm -hmm. so, so the transformation that will help keep our world safer. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Give us a little bit more. Uh, no, I'm, I'm working, I'm working, you know, consistency. I'm, working, I'm, working on some, I'm working on, you know, so it used to be that we could be very reactive. In our okay, world, right, right, and that's what you're talking about. The and, police, you were talking, you mentioned that very, very quickly. Well, a few well ago. We, could, we could be, we could be reactive. I'm just uh -huh. talking about in general, right? We sure. could wait for something to happen uh -huh. um, in our country, oh. and we can't be reactive anymore. We have to actually be predictive. In today's world, in any, in any organization, it's important to be more predictive to understand where things are going to happen, so that you know where to put your product. You know, what I'm talking corporations now, or anybody with a business, we need to be predicting our marketplace. The, you know, the world that we live in, so we'll know how to place where, where we're going to be. If we wait to, for a problem to show up and then solve the problem, then we're already behind the times. And for a long time, I think every, you know, most organizations, most of us, especially if we're in the self-help um, business, have waited for a problem to emerge, and that's when we get called in <laughs> to help solve the problem. Yeah. Then we're behind the times. Then you're playing catch-up, mm -hmm. right? Wow. So now it's about being predictive. So a lot of my clients is how to predict where things are headed next and to prepare for it and to be agile in that process. And, the, and, and like, so psychologically speaking, 
prepare, how do you prepare for what you're predicting, psychologically speaking? You have to be open to getting outside of your own boxes, okay. right? So think outside okay. the box is yeah. to, and is to you know, and to be open to play. I mean, I think that we need to bring much more play and creativity into what we're doing every day, and we we don't, and then we get very locked in. And mm. a lot of us are trained with these very systematic minds where. If you're going to tell me to do something different, I need to have the evidence to support it, and I need to have the roadmap. Mm. Well, that's not how the world that we live in works today. Mm. And so having to, again, create a new neural pathway, if you know that that's your modality, how do you get comfortable with innovation, creativity, outside the box, agility, unpredictability? Mm. And so that's where that five-step process comes in, too, having to yes. on it. and. The five steps to reauthoring your script, right? Exercising the authority that we all were born with to reauthor <laughs> the script so that we can show up in the world the way that we were designed to be. You know, you, the world is a better place because of you, Jelaine. You know I mean that when I say it. Uh, are you there? We, got, we just got a glitch. Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, we got Okay, good, because this is yes, important because I'm, I'm, I'm thanking you. I don't, I don't, I don't want you. <laughs> don't, <laughs> Skype, don't mess this up. This is a touching moment. Um, I need technology to cooperate. Yeah, I'm a better person because of you. I am, and I'm, I mean that. Um, uh, I am uh, more global thinking. Uh, that's my second favorite thing about you. The first is, is your amazing laugh. <laughs> is your no, beautiful? I'm not gonna laugh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we got one earlier. One. I didn't want to point it out so you become self-conscious, but it's it's free. It's beautiful. Um, but yeah, but th this is the takeaway. One of the takeaways. One of the takeaways for our, for our peeps today is the five step uh, rewriting your script, and that's 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 strengthening the inner world, recognizing your story, rejecting the story. If asking yourself where, yeah, what's not cool in my life, or what's quote going wrong, right? Where can I upgrade? Recognize the story you have about it, re reject that story, release the story, then. Right, and replace it with the, the new story and then repeat it. And that's very practical and useful. Again, so a couple things to thank you for. One, for the time, for making the time today. I know you're busy as hell traveling the world. You are all over the place all the time, so I really appreciate you, your making time. Uh, the second is for the contribution that you have made to my own personal development, and, and I look for that, forward to that, uh, never stopping. But the third and the biggest one is, is for your contribution to this planet you, you make a huge difference, Jillian. No, you do. Uh, you probably don't hear it enough. I, I bet you do hear it a lot, but I hope you don't get used to it because it's a big goddamn deal. Well, you, your presence on this planet is having us all live more fully, happily, more safely, more consciously. You are accelerating the, the, the growth curve of our collective consciousness, and for that, I adore you. Well, thank you. It's really great to connect with you. And I and you, Chris, are one of my heroes. So oh, just being in your presence makes that. everybody feel better about life. So, Jelaine, how do you want people to uh, connect with you if they, if, they want, if they have questions for you, if somebody wants to hire you or yeah. ask a clarifying question or whatever? Uh, how, you know, where, where do we send them? Leadwithconversations.com. Leadwithconversations.com. Yes. Lead with exactly. conversations, plural, dot com. Leave, dot lead com. with, and I'll put that, we'll put that right, that'll be perfect. Here. Okay, Jelaine, thanks again so much. It's a pleasure. Thank okay. you. Okay, take care.